0: it's time once again for the governance update from vlga connect and i'm joined by stephen cooper the chief of staff of the
1: vlga hi steve hi chris how are you i'm well thanks how's your week been my week's been uh, absolutely sensational but busy that's good to hear we like to keep you busy and out of mischief as they say and now that we can be on the streets it's no good being busy and off the streets but anyway there you go so we're going to start, Steve, with the
0: uh, the decision of the Supreme Court in relation to Warnerville Council and uh, its former, now reinstated CEO, and a lot of people are talking about this and wondering about the implications, aren't they? Ever? And,
1: and Chris, if only we had a lawyer.
0: You're well, okay. we we I, I know where you're going. We we often have to say, and we should say it again. We are not lawyers, but guess what? We've got one. And who better than a lawyer that used to be a mayor and a councillor. So we're going to call in Tony Ranich from Hunt & Hunt to help us understand this decision. And Steve, we're really pleased to have Tony Ranich joining us now from Hunt & Hunt Lawyers. Good morning, Tony.
2: Hey, Chris. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. And and thank you for for, for those who are watching this. You've got no idea when we do this, but it's a bright and early Friday morning record, uh, as Tony's been good enough to fit us into his schedule today. To talk about a topic that's it's, it's a hot topic around the sector at the moment, uh, what I notice you've started to refer to as the Schneider decision. I guess that's what it's going to be called uh, from now on. That,
2: that, that's right. The infamous Schneider decision, but no doubt being read by many CEOs and many, many councillors and people um, both within the local government sector and beyond.
0: Tony, I've heard a few conversations. Some people are drawing some conclusions from this that I think perhaps are going a little bit too far. So we thought we might just bring it back and just explain very clearly what has actually happened here and what are the implications for the sector? So the decision itself, why is it momentous?
2: Well, the decision's momentous because it, 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 it's a reminder, I think, a healthy reminder for councillors that they, uh, their, their ability to terminate a CEO is constrained by the need to observe the rules of natural justice and procedural fairness. Where it, uh, some might take it and assume that, that, um, that it is a precedent, that it is not, is to say that it rules out um, the application of these uh, no reason or any reason termination clauses in contracts. I think the better way to read this case is, is to understand that it requires um, a, a, an appropriate process when councilors are considering whether or not to terminate a CEO's contract and provided that the rules of natural justice are followed and the CEO is afforded procedural fairness, then then ultimately council might come to an appropriate conclusion to terminate the CEO's contract during the course of that term.
0: So is it an oversimplification to say that in this case, the clause that allows a council to terminate a CEO's employment for no reason was invalidated because a proper process under broader law wasn't followed?
2: I I I think the the clause wasn't effective in this case because the clause um, always would be ineffective if it was sought to exclude that procedure that involved natural justice. And here, um, there were some really stark circumstances in this case. You had um, a majority of counsellors concluding that they wanted to terminate the CEO's contract. Not, according to the judge, not providing adequate reasons to the CEO. In fact, um, there's no evidence that any formal reasons, you know, written reasons, specific reasons were provided to the CEO. There wasn't evidence that the um, CEO was told that um, council was contemplating the termination of the CEO's contract. Um, The minority councillors at the special meeting brought a whole set of questions along and sought to um, have have answers to these questions um, dealt with in the debate. In fact, there were 31 questions put by the minority councillors and As the judge says in the decision, the majority councillors sat mute. Mm. They they didn't have a debate there. So there's a number of things that occurred um, in this case that are quite um, stark and are good reminders for councillors that a process needs to be followed very carefully when dealing with uh, the employment conditions of the CEO's contract, given that that's a statutory power Tony, um, you've used the
1: term natural justice a few times. If we can take a step back, what does that actually mean?
2: Yeah, look, it, it, it's, it's a, a prov- an understanding or a provision at common law that, that is that you, um, as a, a person who um, is having a decision made about them, has certain rights to know um, what are the allegations against you, um, I, you need to be afforded with an opportunity to respond those allegations and there needs to be a genuine consideration of your response and many of those elements weren't according to the judge's decision weren't present in this instance in that um you know there, there was no we're not aware of any report or written set of specific allegations being put to Mr Schneider um we're not aware that he was he was put on notice formally that Um, Council was considering his termination and it also appears from the email communications between the majority of councillors prior to the special meeting that they'd already made up their mind that at the special meeting they were going to vote to terminate so again it brings in all those notions of preconceived bias of um there not being a genuine democratic debate
0: yeah i was exactly where my mind was going and i wondered if it was a red herring tony it calls to mind winky pop doesn't it and, they, and the predetermined uh, point of view and that not allowing the debate to occur or not participating in a debate on the issues uh,
2: uh, absolutely um so so i i think for for councillors um who, who who will sometimes be faced with a position where they are concerned about the performance of the ceo there is a a process that allows councillors to raise those concerns with the CEO, but also affords the CEO the opportunity to um, address that in a a response to argue the CEO's case and for then councillors to have a genuine consideration of the merits of a decision to terminate or not. And it also says to councillors, look, it's no good if you just seek to pay off or use money to compensate the CEO for a failure to observe those natural justice provisions if the CEO doesn't play ball. So the CEO might say, all right, well, I'll take the money and run and I'm happy. But in this case, Mr Schneider said, no, I'm not accepting this decision. I don't agree with this decision. I wasn't afforded natural justice. And the court has rightly said, I think, no, we're reinstating you, Um, um, and and you can now take 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 the position going forwards and remain the CEO of, of council.
0: And it remains to be seen, obviously, how that plays out because all of those councillors are no longer in office as a brand new council in place in in Warrnambool. So we don't we probably don't really want to go there because we don't really know mm-hmm. what might occur next. But um, what about those CEOs or those mayors at the moment that are thinking they've got to go and review and perhaps change uh, the contract that they have with their CEO?
2: Look, I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile flagging that if there are these um, no reason or any reason clauses in employment contracts, that they need to be treated carefully and they can't be read just in, in, in a vacuum. So I don't think it means that the contracts, uh, certainly that the contracts are invalid. I even don't think it means that, um, that councillors might Um, uh, not seek to exercise a right under those provisions, um, particularly a right to terminate for a defined reason, but they still, they must follow the natural justice process. And that's the essential part here. It's not really saying that a contract's invalid. It's saying that there needs to be an appropriate process followed in enforcing the provisions of that contract. So Tony, moving on from that, what are the
1: implications, if any, for CEOs in managing the contracts of their senior officers?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question that comes out of this, Steve. Uh, of course, this is a decision under the 1989 Act. Mr Schneider was employed under the 1989 Local Government Act. That Act has specific provisions in, um, in um, sections, I think it's 94 to 97, around Uh, CEO and senior officer employment. The new Act, the 2020 Act, is more focused around CEOs. So arguably, um, for a senior officer employed under the 2020 Act, of course, many of the senior officers out there now would still be employed under the 89 Act. But for an officer employed under the 2020 Act, it may not have the same application. However, however... Regardless of this decision, um, it would be very unusual, I think, for a CEO in, in making a decision about one of his or her employed officers not to follow a natural justice process in making a determination. And, in fact, um, that's what's unique perhaps about the position of a CEO is that that's the only um, employee of the councillors, if you like, and, and that's where, um, you know, there, there's this uh, possibility, I guess, that councillors will see their right to just vote in a chamber um, in a vacuum without natural justice as applying. And this decision says, oh, no, you must observe those rules of natural justice um, that apply, you know, in, in the workplace generally already.
0: Tony, thank you for that uh, analysis. I note that you've done a, a piece of um, advice for the sector that's being shared on LinkedIn, etc., which uh, people are really appreciating. I'm assuming if there are any uh, CEOs or, or mayors that, that want to sort of talk to you about the finer points of this, that
2: you'd welcome their call. Oh, absolutely, Chris, and um, and I can like imagine that um, people are, you know, considering positions. I imagine there's some. Um, former CEOs out there wondering about, um, about uh, what, what they might have done at the time. Thank you,
0: Tony. Steve, any last thoughts for uh, Tony before we let him go?
2: No, good to talk, Tony. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a lovely day. Eh? Thank yeah. you very much.
0: Good on you. Steve, that was really worth doing. Uh, great to have Tony's insights into that. As I, as I know, as I said at the outset, a lot of people are talking about that decision and what it could mean.
1: Absolutely, Chris. And isn't it interesting? I mean, one way of looking at it is through the legal frame, but the other one is, of course, a public value, public trust frame. And good organisations are fair, good organisations have clear process. Um, So everything that Tony's talked about actually makes good business sense for councils as well. Indeed it does. So while we're on the subject of
0: CEOs, the the issue of CEO salaries is in the news again. And I know, you know, every year uh, the Herald Sun, right now the Weekly Times uh, do the league table. It's a bit of lazy reporting in my view um, without any clear purpose. But um, CEO salaries are a pretty hot topic interstate as well, Steve. Have you seen what's happening in South Australia and New South Wales?
1: That was interesting, Chris, that there is a move and let me get this right, uh, for CEO salaries to be centrally fixed. So in the same way that councillor allowances are currently fixed.
0: That's, That's correct. So new legislation coming in in South Australia where an independent remuneration tribunal will set CEO salaries. In New South Wales, they haven't quite got to that point yet, but they're considering it as part of a discussion paper that's just come out from the local government minister there. And it's partly been prompted by quite a bit of media attention on the salaries of general managers, as they're called in New South Wales, in comparison, and again, it's a lazy comparison, to people like the Prime Minister and the Premier of the state, etc.
1: cetera. Let's start start on that point. And I I want to come back to something that we talked about just before, Chris. But yeah, so I saw during the week that Paul Murray on Sky News uh, was very critical of the fact that the general manager of the Parramatta City Council is paid more than the prime minister. and so I went looking for the salaries of Sky News presenters, and I'll bet you had trouble. There's nothing there. <laughs> I went looking for the salaries of executives at uh, that particular organization, and I couldn't find anything. So isn't it terrific that local government salaries are publicly available and um, that in that way councils can be accountable to the community, even if we've long known that the comparison between someone leading a highly complex organisation with a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of employees, there is no comparison to that and the role of an elected representative because the salaries of the elected are never the same as the salaries of people leading big organisations.
0: Exactly right. It would make more sense to be comparing the allowances that mayors and councillors receive against... Uh, you know, PMs and premiers and ministers, etc, as as elected representatives, and it would make more sense to be comparing the salaries of CEOs leading large council organizations with similar sized uh, private uh, organizations, I would have thought.
1: Absolutely, Chris, I couldn't agree more. And if we can leave that there and go back to your previous point about this move to centralize the fixing of CEO salaries, I I I guess I'm used that it's um, in the space of potentially having unintended consequences. I thought it was really interesting that if you went through the salaries um, that were published in the Weekly Times, there was a clear band and the salaries that CEOs received were reasonably expected. Um, And in fact, the one outlier, which was a council where the CEO salary was reported as being in excess of $400,000. In fact, there was a crossover. In fact, it was two CEOs during that period. So there would have been a period of leave, for example. I always find it interesting that, you know, we think that the market will sort things out and the market gives the council the flexibility to make a strategic decision as to where it will pitch the role. And it also allows... Um, a pool of prospective um, candidates to make a determination as to whether they would like to apply or not. Um, Well, are we saying that councils aren't to be trusted to actually operate within that market?
0: Yeah, it raises a whole um, stack of questions. The Weekly Times story, for example, my question was, what is the point here? They're not making any sort of uh, conclusion or drawing any um, analysis from this. They're just revealing something that's publicly available anyway.
1: Yeah, and the only comparison is with other councils. And, of course, if you, you know, walk into a pub and say, sh- you know, ask that question and put up that money with no consequence, you know, well, we know you're going to get an adverse reaction.
0: Uh, Steve, a couple of other notes from the news this week. The Age is reporting that the, uh, the alleged or suspected uh, voter fraud for Moreland Council's election last year might be leading to charges being made soon.
1: Yeah, and um, I suppose we can really only say what the age has said. I suppose my bigger um, sort of thought with that, Chris, is that isn't it terrific that um, there should be confidence in election processes that... Um, where there is this suggestion of inappropriate behavior that it has been it appears to have been followed through.
0: That yeah, and that is, that gives you confidence, uh, doesn't it? So so just to be clear, what the age is saying is that police are preparing to lay charges over suspected fraud during last year's Moreland Council elections after gathering DNA and fingerprint tests on suspicious ballot papers. So stay tuned. Uh, Stay tuned also for the latest from Dubbo Regional Council. Steve, we've been following that here. Uh, The Dubbo Council this week has appointed its independent investigator in a unanimous uh, resolution to ensure that complaints received by council in the current term have been appropriately assessed and handled. So stay tuned there as well.
1: I can't add to that, Chris. I think that's just an interesting ongoing saga.
0: So let's go to the mailbag, shall we? Uh we've had some mail um, i did receive some uh, some correspondence from uh, a regular listener viewer um, who was interested in what you reported last week in that vargo is to look into fraud control regarding local government grants and the question that this person is raising is will this extend to and should it to community recovery grants those things that you know, haven't traditionally been funded in the past. They've come out of special grants programs to respond to crises like floods, bushfires, COVID, et cetera.
1: It's always been an interesting space, and I'm, I can't claim to be an absolute expert on this topic, Chris, but we know that in a time of natural disaster, maybe some of the normal processes that are undertaken by government, you know, the checks and balances might not be there in the handing out of grants. That said, I don't think... Um, it would be appropriate to just have no due diligence over the way that the money's being spent or the bona fides of um, the organisation seeking the money, if you like. That, um, for example, you wouldn't want to be um, handing money to an organisation that doesn't follow appropriate employment law or have appropriate kind of health and safety and sort of infrastructure around it. I think. Um, Some form of due diligence is definitely necessary, if indeed that's the question.
0: Yes, and I don't think anyone's suggesting there's fraud potentially happening here, but are the same level of controls being applied? And if not, should they be? And is it something that VARGO might look at at some point?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would expect that Vargo, uh, if they go down that path um, in relation to community grants, uh, would be interested in that topic. And of course, one of the other balances is that the level of control needs to be proportional to the amount being handed out. That um, We've all been in an experience where at times the due diligence around the grant costs more than the actual grant that's been received, and maybe we might not have bothered in the first place. So
0: that's a useful piece of correspondence, and we we thank that listener for sending that in. Steve, I think that's all the time we have for this week. You've got some work still ahead of you today.
1: I do, Chris. We've got a few things on uh, to prepare for next week. And today we have um, the meeting of, or a meeting of, our Governance Advisory Network at the VLGA, uh, a meeting of councillors and officers where, guess what, we talk all things governance so it's uh, be something to look forward to.
0: Sounds, sounds very exciting. Uh, as, uh, as of course, it always is to talk governance on this program, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Cheers, Chris. Steve Cooper from the VLGA with us for the governance update. Thank you for your company. We'll see you again very soon for more VLGA Connected.